If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. So Dr. Roy Vontama. Vontama. Great episode. Great, here, guy, great guy. Great, great guy. Very, very nice dude. Handsome. He, handsome as hell. Well, he's he an actor. But he's also he's a, Hollywood handsome. He yeah. is. He is. But he's also a board certified radiation oncologist. And the thing about him is he talks a lot. So here's a a, a real Western medicine doctor who specializes in some treatment in treatments of cancer. But he talks a lot about um, the the mental, psychological, spiritual side of treating that cancer. In fact, he wrote a book mm-hmm. called Healing Before You're Cured: The Evidence Based Guide to Taking Control of your body and mind. It's really refreshing to hear a Western medicine doctor talk about these these things, especially in the context of cancer, especially because he, this is what he does. This is what he treats. Yeah. yeah. So it was a really, really good episode. Now you can find his, uh, him online at mdroy.com, Facebook, the houses of health. Uh, Instagram is at Roy Vontama, MD, Vontama spelled V-O-N-G-T-A-M-A. Um, we think you're going to really enjoy this. You also can get a free email course on his website, RoyVMD.com. And then on YouTube, he has a YouTube channel. This guy's all over the place, Roy Vontama MD. So we think you're going to really enjoy this episode. Before we get into it, though, I do want to remind everybody, MAPS HIT. This is our most effective in the short-term fat-burning program that we offer. It's high-intensity interval training. It's half off. It's half off to help you get ready for summer. So here's what you do. Go to mapshit.com and use the code HIT50, H-I-I-T-5-0, for the discount. Also, when this is airing, it's the end of Mother's Day. Uh, Check out our Insta stories on Instagram. We might have something for you. Our pages on Instagram are Mind Pump Justin, Mind Pump Adam, and Mind Pump Sal. And that's it. So here we are. Without any further ado, here we are talking to Dr. Roy Vontama. Oftentimes when we you know, have um, ideas for guests to be on the show, many times we'll look and see what the person's talking about or whatever, and I'll decide uh, that I want to get on the phone with them first. Sure. Just to see if it's a good fit or yeah. whatever. And you and I got on the phone, and um, within the first five minutes, I knew you would be a, good, a great guest because of your background and then the direction you're going with the types of things that you're talking about which uh, I think are absolutely fascinating. So if you don't mind just kind of giving a quick uh, background to our audience about you know, your, your, what you studied, what you practiced, and now the direction you're going now. Sure. Uh, so I, well, it, my medical training is, is actually really long because my dad is an oncologist. My mom's a doctor. So I grew up going into his clinic when I was young. So I got to see like how people... The thing that really impacted me the most, actually, out of that experience was that my dad's physicist, the guy that plans his treatments, got lung cancer. And as a kid, I couldn't understand, like, what? how could it be that the guys who are treating the cancer got cancer and then he died in front of me over the course of two years? And I was like, Dad, how did that happen? He's like, I, you know, and he's totally Western. Even though he's Buddhist, he's still Western trained. So he's like, it just happens, you know? And, And then as I was going... 
uh, growing up, I did a lot of research, high school, college, and then I got into medical school. I went to I went to Penn for undergrad. So I studied psychology and the biological basis of behavior. So it was how psychology affects biology. Oh, interesting. So even, even then, I started that, and I was looking at how depression. How does that affect you? How does it How does it come about? Like, uh, is it cultural? What are the cultural components? But also, one of the research topics we're looking at, like, how do you think culturally? How does it affect? In, in depression, how does it come about physically? Like Latinos, they get a lot of stomach pain. Really? Asia, yeah, stomach pain. So wow. if you're if if you're stressed out and you're you know in Latinos they found that if you have a lot of stomach if you're stressed you get stomach pain you don't feel any stress but you have stomach pain. Interesting. You have depression you have a lot more stomach pain like that. And Asians they get a lot of headaches. So you get um sometimes you'll see like I have friends in college I won't, I won't say who they are but they lose their hair, you know the hair would fall out in huh. patches. Wow. From stress. And I'm like, are you, st- are you stressed? No, I'm fine. I'm like, your whole head is bald. Yeah. I didn't even thought <laughs> like culturally that would be different. It's culturally. People, yeah. But then you got to think, okay, well then that's how the mind is processing the stress. Hmm. Right. So there's cultural components. It's pretty deep stuff. So this is fascinating. Did you, fi- are they finding that the, the, that they're learning how to deal with these this, their stresses in particular ways because of the culture, and that's why it's manifesting itself. Yes, physical. and and even more if you I didn't mean to point at you. No problem. <laughs> no, you can point at you, you, you. Yeah. If you if you uh, if you move, if you start somewhere else and you come here, the more they call acculturation, the more acculturated you become, the more your symptoms pick up to the way you move to. So it's not your origin point necessarily. It's how you're actually living now. So it's not even it's not genetic, obviously. That kind not of rule, that rules out the fact that there may be some genetic component to a particular it's culture not genetic. or whatever. Yeah, it's epigenetic. So it's mm. it's things outside the genome affecting the genome. Oh geez. So so basically so I was like, oh wow, that's really cool. And so you're I, learning this before you go school. I didn't even I didn't even go. I was that was when I was in college. And then so then I went to medical school and then uh, that's you know, it was all Western. No like my friend always is amazed. I took, uh, so I had 75 teachers, about, you know, 250 courses. How many were on nutrition? <laughs> we talk, we talk about this all the time, like yeah. a semester worth, right? Zero. Zero? Oh, wow. Not even one? I didn't have one. Wow. wow. Zero, zero, yeah, zero. That's okay. crazy. Anyway, so then I was like, wait a minute though. What about, you know, what about this? And they're like, no. I'm like, oh, okay. And I kind of like, you know, you get into a system and then you're kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm learning this system. And then when I got out of that system, I started going to residency. I went to, came to UCLA in LA and I was like, um, I really want to, LA is easy to kind of expand though. It's very <laughs> open to all sorts of things. So I was melting like, pot. Well, exactly. And then, so I was like, well, I want to, so I started meditating when I was there. And then I realized, whoa, you know, there's something in me that, that really is, is not, is I needed to learn this, you mm-hmm. know, that's why I resonated that one podcast, um, um, I forget his name. The, uh, the Miles. Oh, oh that, we, that we, that we, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so then I did that. But Sanjay. also while I was there, when I went to train at UCLA, um, the chairman's like, well, you have an interview at MD Anderson and you have a, like 26 years of research. And this is when I was like 30. So he's like, why do you want to come to UCLA when you can go to MD Anderson, which is the, like the best. I was like, do you want to know? And he's like, yeah. I was like, well, I want to be an actor. So I always, I always, of course, my, my, of course. So my dad, my, and, uh, he was like, I wanted to be an actor. He's like, you know what? I really love actors because they're very creative. We'd love to have you do research with us here. And, and I was like, well, in fact, if you gave me a contract today, I'd sign it. And he's like, what? So 
in that on that day, instead of doing the match, which is if anybody's listening, that's a doctor, they'll be very frustrated with this story. But I got to circumvent this whole match process. I signed a contract for UCLA outside of this process. So I didn't have to do any interviews, no testing. I got right into UCLA that way. Wow. Oh, wow. By saying I wanted to be an actor. Of all things. <laughs> <laughs> So, so anyway, so then, then I went through So I started training and acting and I couldn't, I couldn't get to anger. I couldn't access anger. Well, so while you're trying to, to, to ex- exemplify these emotions as an actor, I couldn't do it. So you could huh. do sad, you could do, you think could, that'd be the easier one to emote. Well, this is very interesting. So culturally in, in, in like Thai, a Thai culture, one of the favorite thing, the phrase is called my pinrai means, um, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Mm. That's how you take any kind of situation that comes to you. You don't, but it's fake, right? Because <laughs> you're getting angry and you're like, oh, it's okay. But it, it's, it's, you know, that's bullshit. So that's yeah. like, Unless you're a Thai fighter. I've right. Seen those. Oh, yeah. oh, so yeah, my, dad's, my dad's a Muay Thai fighter. Oh, is he? Oh, he no grew way. up fighting Muay Thai. Oh, wow. So I, I never won any fights when I was fighting with my dad. But I won every other fight because I'm fighting with my dad. Uh, but... You know, it's all elbows and knees, right? Yep. Except when you're a kid, you hit someone with an elbow. It's not good for you with talking to their parents because it's like <laughs> elbows. Your kid elbows my damage. son to the eyeball. Yeah. Yeah. My dad's like, okay, we have new advice for you. I said, what? He's like, punch him in the stomach. I was like, why? He's like, doesn't leave a mark. Go right down. I was That's like, okay. Advice. I like okay. your dad. <laughs> all right. So anyway, so this is a roundabout. But basically, I couldn't feel anger, right? Mm-hmm. So then I was like, what's going on? And my coach was like, well... Well, let's start with your name. I was like, what do you mean? She's like, say your name. I was like, Roy Vontama? She's like, is that a statement or question? I'm like, what do you mean? It's my name. She's like, say it again. Roy Vontama? And she's like, that's a question to me. Oh, I see. you end your sentence. Yeah. And I was like, it's my name. I don't know what you're talking about. She's like, sit down. And there's other people in the class. She's doing this in front of a class. Hmm. And I'm like, so next week I come back. She's like, okay, stand up. Say your name. It's like, Roy Vontama? And she's like... (laughs) Sit down. <laughs> and I was like, next week, I'm paying money for this. This is all I'm getting. <laughs> Third week I get there. I'm like, she's, I'm like, I'm going to fucking kill her if she's going to sit down. <laughs> so she's like, she's like, uh, what's your name? And I'm like, Roy Vontama. And then she's like, sit down. I'm like, wait, what is going on? Like, I'm saying my name. What is wrong? Like, she's like, you don't know who you are. Oh, wow. Oh. You don't need an acting class. You need therapy. Oh, shit. She wow. said that? Yeah. And, I, and, heavy. Goes, and then she goes, she goes, you're a good looking guy and everybody. And I was like, and she goes, what are you laughing about now? I'm like, well, you just say I'm a good looking guy because that's what, you know, I'm paying you. And she's like, oh, really? You, so you think because I'm, you're paying me that I'm telling you you're good looking while I'm telling you to go to therapy. And I'm like, yeah. She's like, okay. All the girls in the room, how, how many, or everybody, how many people do you think Roy's good looking? And like everybody, I'm like, everybody raised their hand. And I was like. What, I mean, this is dumb. You're telling them a question where they have to raise their hand. Sure. She's like, you've got some serious problems. <laughs> she's like, go do therapy. And I was like, she's saying, in fact, you should go right now. Forget this class. And I was like, fine, I'm not going to. Well, I paid for eight weeks, so I'm going to come back. But I, I ended up going, started doing therapy. And in therapy, I, was, I found out that, wow, I'm really blocked from feeling this, this emotional stuff. Right. And then when I went back to being a doctor, you know, I was still being a doctor during the day. I was just doing this at night. I found that my cancer patients, the patients I was dealing with, because I'm an oncologist, that almost 90% had issues in this particular area, which I call the emotional house. They really? have, oh, yeah. So, so 
I was like, I would ask him questions. I would ask him like, how's your, I started asking him like, how's your relationship with your parents? How's your, did you have any trauma growing up? Did you have any, um, you know, do you have any bad experiences growing up? And 90% would say yes. Hmm. And I was like, huh. I was like, well, there must be something to this. And so I started using my acting training in this way. I was like, okay, well, I, I've learned how to access anger. I've learned how to access these emotions. And I realized if you don't have access, that means you're blocked. If you're blocked, then it probably causes disease. And then I was like, well, that's a big leap. That's a big leap to take, right? You can't feel anger. It's Especially as a doctor because oh, yeah. you ha- you're like, I yeah. need evidence. Yes, I need evidence. So then I was like, well... I don't know where to look because there's no, so I'm, what I'm saying is like, I was like, and I knew it. I was like, well, resentment is causing disease, but I didn't know how to prove that. Right. I didn't know how, where do you look for that? So you type in Google, right. (laughs) Resentment and, and, and causing cancer and there's nothing. Right. So for like years, I was like, I don't know how to prove this, but I can interview all my patients and kind of get like a a anecdotal, like feeling about how many of there were. And it was like 90%. And finally, it came out. I I I was I was trying to publish this book. I had written most of it, and this one section was really kind of killing me because I wrote it, but I didn't know how to to prove it. Even though I already written it, and I knew it was true, but I didn't know how. So I go to this networking meeting, and um, this guy walks up to me. I only had ten minutes to be there. He goes, "Have you read the Aces study?" And I was like, "What?" He's like, "Aces." I'm like, "Who are you?" He's like, "It doesn't matter. Aces, go read it." And I was like, okay. I know. And he came up to me five minutes later. He's like, Aces, write it down. I'm like, okay, I got it. What's your name? He's like, it doesn't matter. And I couldn't stay any longer. I never found this guy's name. This is like a true story. And I went home and I looked at the Aces study. Aces study is Adverse Childhood Experience Study. It's a study out of Kaiser and uh, uh, NIH where they studied 15,000 people. And they found that if you have a yes answer to, to any of these 10 questions, which is, which is uh, you physical abuse as a child, mental abuse, emotional abuse, emotional neglect, physical neglect, divorce, uh, incarceration in the family, you witness domestic violence. Um, if you have any of these yeses, you're more prone to depression, suicide, cancer. You double the risk of cancer if four of these questions are positive out of 10. Hmm. This is validated research. Your risk, if you have seven out of 10, which is horrible, your risk of suicide is like six, 600 times higher, hmm. 300 times higher than the average person. If you have one, you have increased risk of sexually transmitted disease, increased depression, lower socioeconomic status, all these things. It's all validated in this research, this big study. So this came out a few years ago. Now, I have a question yeah. about this. Is did they control for the, the potential fact that, let's say, you know, having abuse, being abused by your parents, growing up in maybe single parent household, whatever, that those situations also may mean that you are more likely to have poor diet, uh, yes. poor hygiene? Yes. So it's all controlled by all of that. But I mean, obviously. So it, even if they control for that, they're it's, finding. It's all. It's, so it's related wow. on its own. Wow. Which is why this is super significant because this is the link I needed to like really validate this work because I had a few hundred, you know, maybe 700 people I'd asked. Mm-hmm. This is 15,000. You know, it's a whole different thing. It's run by, you know, a huge multi million dollar study. And so 
what I found was like, okay, so here's, here's the work. Here's the work. It's like, you have your physical component, right? You have all the stuff you're doing in your, in your, in your body, you know, which you guys, you guys are amazing about. And you're also great about the mind, mm. right? You're putting all this mind work in, but it's also important to look at this emotional house, right? And then the spiritual house on top of it. Um, so putting all of them together, you get this paradigm of complete health, you know, and, um, you're all doing, you're doing it anyway. If you're trying to optimize one, you're going to get pulled into another because if you want to excel at something, you're going to try to find everything you can to pull you in. So mm -hmm. it's not really about doing everything. It's about doing something really well and then pulling what you can from these other things in. And that's kind of like my entry point for people. It's like, look, find one thing you love, do that thing, and then build on that, mm. build the momentum out of that one. It's, it's interesting to me because, uh, you know, Western medicine it does such a good job of segmenting, segmenting the, the, the body, a human, like you have your, your digestive system, you have your, you know, va you know, your vascular system, your, uh, your central nervous system. Uh, you know, we learn about the microbiome or we learn about hormones and they go deep, but they never connect Mm. all of them together. If you look at all the other ancient health practices, whether it's Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine, Eastern European medicine, they all seem to, they all tend to treat the person as this one whole, you know, type of organism. And these are, of course, these are, you know, practices that have lasted for, for thousands of years. And what we're seeing now with Western societies is we're solving kind of these acute issues, mm -hmm. but we have all these chronic issues that we have no solutions for yes. because we don't, we're not looking at the whole person. Yeah. You know? And so someone coming from, did this change how you worked with your cancer oh, patients? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. hundred percent. So I would, I, so what I do is because I have so many things going on, what I do is I cover a lot of different practices. And, um, so if people don't know me and I'm rolling in, I'll be seeing a patient all of a sudden it's dead quiet in there. And the nurse is like, what, what's going on in there? you know, is, is something weird happening, you know, mm -hmm. but no, I would be teaching a meditation like right in the room. I'd go, I'll go see patients. I'm like, look, and I would look, the data shows if you do 90 minutes a week, 90 minutes a week is seven minutes twice a day. Okay. If you do seven minutes twice a day, it, de it improves your immune system, increases your cell counts, decreases your anxiety level, decreases your cortisol level and response to stress. If you can learn this one skill and I can teach it to you right now, you might do it. Right. So I would do that as part of my initial thing. I'd ask cool. them, I'd ask them, hey, do you know? Well, first I'd ask them, do you guys, do you eat, you know, do you, how's your diet? You know, mm -hmm. that's number one. And if they're like, I have to have greens, I have to have <laughs> yeah. a salad. Yeah. If we're talking about salad, we're not going to get to meditation. You know what I mean? Yeah. You got to start, you got to start. Big rocks it, first. Right? Big rocks. But if they're, if they're more open, I would start, I would go to, I would check how they are mentally. You know, if there's a victim mentality, you know, um, there's a quite a bit of data on that. So I would, I would look to see, you know, there's two researchers, they, they talk about something called flourishing and languishing. Have you heard of this before? No. Okay. This is cool. So flourishing, what's flourishing? What would you define flourishing as? I mean, just thriving in, in everything you do, like uh, just being energetic, happy to wake up and have purpose. Yeah. How about languishing? What was that? Languishing, uh, I mean, the opposite of that, or what? Yeah, yeah, yeah like stuck, like just stuck, yeah, in stuck place in the mud or right. quicksand. Whatever. Okay, so they found that if you're if you're a flourishing mindset, and uh, languishing is almost like a victim mentality, right? Everything happens to me; I have no control. Mm. Flourishing is like I am in control. I I run the show. Things are great for me. Ownership. If you have that mindset, your immune system improves, less rate of depression, higher higher income. 
less less chronic disease, less heart disease. Um, so if you can have this flourishing mindset, which you probably you see in athletes, a lot of great athletes have this mindset. No matter what, mm-hmm. they turn it. And then if you couple, there's a next, there's another researcher that found a positive negative thought ratio. So um, this is the same as flourishing, but said in a different way. What would you say uh, is a normal person's positive to negative thought ratio? Oh God, I think I've actually read this before. It's the amount of negative thoughts that enters someone's head in a day is like in the hundreds, isn't mm-hmm. it? What, what would you say the ratio? If you had it's to say- pro- I would say it's like a 10 to one, 10 negative to one positive. What would you say? Uh, I would agree with Adam. I'd say it's probably around that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so let's go with all that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what all am right. I going to do? Say like one out of two? Yeah. <laughs> say what you want. You got to do the, no, you gotta do the prices right you thing. You can do a contrarian. Yeah, I'll, go, I'll go one dollar, please. Okay. <laughs> so How about that? One to one? One to one. You're going to one-to-one? I'm going to go one-to-one. No okay. way. No. Okay. Right. It's even higher okay. than what he's, I said. No, no, no. Oh, he's, really? he's closer to right. Okay. The yeah. actual ratio for someone who is actually in a languishing state is 2.5 to 1, positive to negative. Okay. Huh. Wow. And that's languishing. Positive to negative. So two really? and a half positive thoughts for every negative thought is, is, is still languishing. It is. And because it's because negative thought is more impactful. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. That makes sense. That so sense. it stops your behavior. Like you're like, it oh, should I, should I talk? to this girl no you know oh she's so beautiful you're thinking all these positive things like i don't want to talk around that's right that's true boom you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so they found that if you have this ratio again you're you're more prone to depression you're more prone to have a lower a worse immune system you're more prone to disease now what is a healthy what is a person who's flourishing oh gee now that's got to probably be like a six to one or something like that yeah okay so it's Four and a half to one. Oh, so, so it's, it's, it's at least almost twice as much. It's twice as much, but that is that isn't even optimal. That's if you're just basically flourishing. But if you mm. notice, you guys, when you're having a great day, you're way above that. Mm. You're like you're like so the guy there. You know James Andrews, the Mm-mm. surgeon. Mm-mm. He he's a big surgeon in Colorado, orthopedic surgeon. I'm probably surgeon. related to him, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's uh so he operated on Adrian, you know AP Adrian Peterson. Okay, yeah, okay. So he operated on AP and AP. He tore his ACL the last game of the year. the The normal recovery time is 14 months. Yeah, his comeback is crazy. Mm-hmm. You know about it, right? Yeah, of course. He came back the next year. He wasn't supposed to play. He almost broke the all time rushing record the next year back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they asked um, Dr. Andrews like what. What separate? What I mean? How could it be? All these other NFL His athletes come in. For sure. mm-hmm. He's like, well, obviously he's superior genetically than most people, but he goes, his positive-negative thought ratio was ten to one. Wow! And then he said it in the interview. I go, what? Yeah. So I was like, how did he? He goes, oh, see, this makes perfect sense hmm. if you think about it this way. Okay, if you think of the way the human body evolved, your immune system and your body is constantly adapting to its environment, and part of its environment is your perception of your environment. So if you have negative thoughts, why wouldn't your body right. prepare itself or at least mold itself in a way? Of course it's gonna. Re- of course it's gonna consider th- what you think about your environment because that's the filter. You're constructing yes. your environment. So from a Western, even from a Western science point of view, it makes fucking sense. But what's what's annoying is that for so long, the Western models completely discredited it. In yeah. fact, you sound like you're crazy. Oh yeah. If you they say, say like, like pseudoscience okay. or whatever. So I have a funny story about that. So I gave, I've been giving talks like the last couple of years about this stuff, but I've been decided, well, I'm going to do it to doctors because they didn't need to learn this. Right? Oh great. How was the reception? <laughs> okay. So I go to <laughs> crucify. I, I, I won't say, <laughs> so I went to this hospital downtown in LA and they're like, like, Oh, the, CME lady. She's like, I love your stuff. It's so amazing. I've been meditating. I'm like, oh, great. The audience is going to love it. So I start to do this talk and I, 
I go, oh, well, you know, I call, I call them affirmations, like positive statements. Affirmation only means statement in the positive. That's what it means. Mm -hmm. But because it's been kind of used by spiritual people, it sounds very foo-foo, mm-hmm. right? So, and I mistakenly used the word in the talk and I was like, okay, hey, everybody, we're going to do some affirmations. Oh. <laughs> and it's mostly all guys and it's all doctors and, you know, they've no, like we're talking like, oh, diet doesn't matter. These are the kind of guys that I'm oh. talking to, right? This is where I'm starting. And I kind of didn't connect with the room on that level. I was just kind of like super excited. So I started, <laughs> I'm like, let's do this affirmation. I'm gonna, And I had the study on, on the PowerPoint and it was, and then um, I was like, okay, so this is a patient, this is an affirmation I use my cancer patients. It's, I am whole and I am healed. So I, I want you guys to do this in the room. So you, guys, you guys say it. Say it. So you guys say it. So <laughs> yeah. I, I am whole, whole, I am I am whole and I am healed. Right. So I'm whole and I am healed. So I had to do it a few times. Like the third, I was like, we're going to do it six or seven times, right? <laughs> 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 this one doctor, he literally stands up. He stands up. He goes, this is a religion talk. Oh, oh shit. And I was like, I was like, what? He goes, this is a religion talk. This isn't a science talk. And I was like, um, why are you saying that? He was like angry. He's like, he's like, I was like, can you, can you tell me what that says up there? And he's like, that's a, that's a journal article. And he's like, he's like, yeah. I'm like, where's it from? He's like, what does it say? He said, it says cancer. And I'm like, that's a pretty big journal, right? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, is that a religion journal? And he's like, no. And another doctor goes, well, how do you know the research is real? Automatically biased. Automatically. And I I go, this is a study. This is a major top 10 journal. This is the showing that positive thought affects your system. I'm just showing you guys what. He goes, well, how do you know this is a real study? I go, you can say that about any study then. You can Mm -hmm. say about any journal, any study. And then the guys was like, well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, you know what that's called? That's called confirmation bias. Yes. That's just because you don't believe it. It doesn't. It's fake news, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's whatever. I mean, it's like so. Then I he's I was like, I was like, can I continue with the talk? And he's like, okay. So he sat back down. So I was kind of like, hmm. I was a little snarky with him, you know. And I was like, um, at the end, the the CMA lady, she was like, well, I'm sorry that happened. I'm like, no, actually, it was good because I need to have some feedback. And I realized I was a little bit too foo foo with the way I said the word positive mm-hmm. thought. I used the word affirmation. And then she goes, you know what? He also didn't leave. He could have left and he stayed to hear the rest of the talk. So it kind of like sometimes, you know, and you guys know when you work with people, mm-hmm. then you need to say it a few times sometimes for it to get in, mm-hmm. for them to really take it in and get the message. So it's not that I stopped talking to doctors, although I'm a little, you know, I know <laughs> I'm definitely considering my wording, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you have um, to be careful how you sell it to them. Yeah. The other word they don't like is toxicity. Oh, of course. They don't, not. They don't like talk. They're like, so what's toxicity? And yeah. I was like, well, I'm like the stuff you're putting in that's not good for your body. Like, where's the research on toxicity? Oh, gosh. It doesn't the liver filter all this toxicity out? That was mm-hmm. the other thing I got. A lot of, so other questions were like, so you're saying this is toxic as well? This negative thought is toxic? And I was like, okay. So particular audiences need to hear. Mm-hmm. That's what I learned from that. Was yeah. like, I, what I find uh, oftentimes with Western medicine is what's laughed at uh, eventually starts to become part of the protocol. Because yeah. I, I, 15 years ago, if you walked into a, a room full of doctors and, and scientists and talked about the gut microbiome, they would have laughed at you. Oh, they would have said it's not a big, that it doesn't mean anything. It's not a big deal. And now we're finding it is. But thoughts and emotions, that's the next big one. Oh, it's huge. But it's still not its still not necessarily being adopted. Well, it's hard for us to measure. That's why. 
Yeah. Until we can measure it, right? right. That's that's why we're going to and we'll get pushback until that day comes. Well, they do they there are studies that show. Well, here's the thing. What about the placebo effect? Yeah. We've been we've been accounting for that for decades. It's huge. I talk yeah, about that in my book. That. Yeah. Really? Yeah, so let's yeah. talk about that for a second. So so in my book I totally look at that. So the placebo effect has been is well known. Like people who are listening have heard that term, but what it is 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 basically like we give you a pill, right? That we say has something in it and then we give the other group a sugar pill. And oh, well, one is a sugar pill. We say it has something it doesn't have in it. The other one has the actual the actual drug. And if you give them the placebo, they find that you get twenty five to fifty percent of the patients have the response that they're supposed to have that they're told to have. Which that's a lot. It's a huge yeah, a quarter to <laughs> half is a this lot. Is, this is so we're talking about belief. We're talking yeah. about. I mean, and then people are like, well, it's a placebo. I'm like. Well, that's what that means. That was, yeah. So it's just the word has this connotation that means in, in, in our minds, in Western minds, it means it's nothing. Mm-hmm. And so you've just said the power of the mind is nothing. Mm-hmm. But it actually, it's 25 to 50 percent. Yeah. It's 25 to 50 percent of the game. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in some cases, in, in particular uh, with pain, because pain is a, a, a perception, uh, it can be even higher. You know, I had a client once who had uh, chronic shoulder pain for years, came and hired me, and we I did my you know physical assessment. We did exercises, and I identified some muscle imbalances and recruitment pattern issues. Nothing major. We fixed them. We fixed them. Great movement, great mobility, still had shoulder pain. And at this time, I had this um, kind of this esoteric massage therapist that worked for me. He was really into meditation and stuff. Mm. And she kept telling me, it's not her shoulder anymore. It, it, it's this is this is in her mind. It's real. She feels it, but it's not coming from her shoulder. Mm. So I sat down with this client and I, I I asked her. I said, you know, we talked about when this shoulder pain happened, and it happened when she was doing an activity that she loved growing up. Hurt her shoulder. She had to stop that activity. It became very traumatic for her. Mm. So we were having this conversation. This client's like, "Are you telling me that it's not real?" I said, "No, it's 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 real because you feel it." But I don't think it's coming from your shoulder. We've had imaging. Your movement patterns are good. I think this is something you've attached to. And the funny thing is the pain went away, which mm. was really weird. The next time I saw her, we're talking and it just went away and it didn't come back. And she's like, this is very, very strange. But well, I've seen this before. Okay. So what's your explanation? I think, and now I'm no, and no means an expert on this at all. This is my own speculation. But I think that she uh, identified with that pain for a long time and perceived it and she had to kind of forget it like say okay well it's not there anymore okay so this is that's that's partially true is that so there's there's two two things in that and this is validated again in the research is that you were there Mm. and you you made it you you allowed her to express it again have it be real have it be felt again in a different with she's not the kid she was Mm. Right. She's an adult now, but until she re-experiences the event and allow and, and there's an empathetic connection because you're like, I, I feel you. I want to help you. I'm here for you. And you allowed her to say it. They found that in the research, that is what allows for improvement. So if you look at the ther- the research in like cognitive behavioral therapy or any kind of therapy, mm-hmm. the one that's been validated across all things is if the if the therapist is empathetic. Mm. that's the only time the person gets benefit. In fact, you don't even have to have a technique to give them. If you just listen and you empathize with them from where they are, they found that that is the improvement. And if you improve that emotionally, it has result in the physical. Mm. So that's why. And the research shows this. Yeah. Wow. Do they have any research to show cancer survival rates with 
changes of attitude and you know are they do they have any research on that to yeah, show yeah okay so that's an interesting question so if you look at um it's it in terms of cancer itself because cancer okay so say you have a can everybody everybody you know especially in la there's a lot of like conspiracy stuff going on like in people's minds are like you have the pill right oh uh, the cancer cure that i'm like that they only give what, to, yeah. what pill you know the, <laughs> the pill that cures cancer i'm like okay we have a lot to talk about, but, uh, you know, what is, is like every cancer on average has like 67 mutations going on in there. Mm -hmm. So the reason why I'm telling you this is because positive thought on its own doesn't show uh, a change in cancer. It, it improves immune system. Right. Mm. But that's, that, that's like a basic groundwork. Right. Um, it, and the research has shown if you, if you do positive thought, you change your diet, you start some meditation you get into support groups. Now you've hit the physical with the diet. You start to exercise, right? Okay, so let's see. So the diet amounts to about, um, in cancers, about 15, 15%. Uh, um, exercise amounts to about 25%. Mm. Um, if you look at positive thought, it amounts to 25 to 35%. If you took in the emotional component, it amounts about 25, 30%. You add in the meditation, another 20, you know, now we're at 150%. I think the percentage is wrong. But, but we're, <laughs> we're, if you put them all together, that package has been shown to improve survival. Mm. So you... This is the thing I think uh, in America we have this this thing where like oh um, like I gave a talk the other day and we're talking about all this stuff and one lady asked about you know like you know how about diet and I, I talked about this one mushroom and every, at the end of the talk people wanted to know where to get this mushroom yeah. and I was like well what, what wait 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 a minute like the mushroom is just one little it's just one part of one thing like they're like yeah but where do we buy it I'm like oh this is this is how we've been trained is mm -hmm. like you know, give me something from the outside that will fix me, mm -hmm. you know, something simple and easy, yeah. something simple Pills and easy. Form. And, and actually it is simple. It's not easy, mm -hmm. you know? So, and then it's like, it's like, um, if you're already living a, like a healthy lifestyle, you know, that's, that's one thing, but if it's really daunting for people who are not in, not in good health already to have them say, Hey, look, you need to meditate. You need to change your diet. You need to start exercising. You need to, you know, so I never start there with people, but um, uh, if you look at if you look at the research, that is where the data has been shown to be po to, to to really affect things. Do you think mm. part of the reason why doctors don't? Because I used to train a lot of doctors and surgeons, and we would have <laughs> these conversations. And uh, you know, I was a personal trainer, and I would say, why do you? Why don't you talk more about nutrition and exercise with people? And they used to tell me, even though a lot of them didn't have training in that, like you said. They would say to me, you know, the the adherence rate is so low. Like mm -hmm. you tell someone to take a pill. There's a crazy thing. Statistically speaking, you get blood, you know, pressure pills. There's a large percentage of people that won't even do that. Mm -hmm. So they said, forget about telling people to change their lifestyle. Do you think that's part of it? Do you think it's part of it where the doctor's like, it's a waste? Like if I tell someone to change, yeah. you know? Yeah, we call, I keep throwing medical words, but they call that nihilism. You know, mm -hmm. nihilism. It's like, you just don't think it's going to work. So why bother doing it? Um, it exists in the practitioners because we're we're on the other side. We're getting very uh, barraged by people who don't want to change. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's actually a really cool study. They had people, okay, so you're a guy, you're a smoker, you have a heart attack. You end, end up in the hospital, right? Um, you almost died. You're told to change three things. One, stop smoking, change your diet, and exercise. Everybody, 100% of the men agreed to this, right? Mm -hmm. At six months, how many are doing one of the three? Cool. 
Half. One. One guy. <laughs> <laughs> what would you say? Uh, I would say half is a good guess. Okay. I said half, yeah. 20%. 20%. Doug says 20. He's right. got the computer in front the, of him. The, yeah. the, <laughs> cheat code? Yeah, cheat code. You got, I'm getting a lot of quizzes today. I don't know why. But uh, yeah. a third. A third will do one. Just but one. We'll do one. This is after 100%. Yeah, but, how, okay. how many of them actually complete all three? Okay, right. that's the next well, that's, question. Yeah, that's what the percentage do are doing all three at six months? Oh, yeah, that might be Justin's that's why one. I was saying the Just, one. Yeah, yeah, Justin's one might be right. At 10%. Yeah. Two, two to 3%. Wow, yeah. After almost dying. Almost dying. That's crazy. Okay, so what does that mean? That means, though, the, the implication of this is that is that change is very hard. Behavioral changes are very difficult. But one out of three will make one change. Mm. Okay, so... So, yeah, you can look and say, oh, my God, it's hard. Yeah, it's hard because you're putting them right back into the environment that they got the disease in. They got the problem. They're going back to the same job, the same wife or same husband, depending, you know, you know, mm -hmm. orientation. But uh, same everything, same lifestyle. And you're asking him to change out of that environment. It's really hard. Mm -hmm. You know, so what I tell people is like, look, pick one thing. Pick one thing. If, if they told you these are the three things, just say in this situation, heart disease, if these three things, exercise, smoking, uh, diet, if you change one and 30% are going to do it, okay, uh, that's pretty good, mm -hmm. actually. Um, so I always tell people, look, pick one thing, commit. Right now, I want you to commit. And I always have them raise their hand like a vow. I say, take a vow. For seven days, you'll do this one thing. You'll do this one thing. And they're like, uh, I can do that. Everybody commits to seven days. I'm like, okay, if you do seven days, then maybe you can do another seven days. So a lot of it, I think, is is um, your yeah. pa your patients when must you, love you. When you understand <laughs> when you understand psychology, right? Which you yeah. which you do. This is the same way that we talk on the show about how we coach people with nutrition. Like mm -hmm. we've learned over all the years. You know, as a trainer, I can do all your measurements, figure out your your body type, your movement, and I could write you the diet to get treaded. But what I have found is. One, the adherence to that is crippling. It's terrible, the people that will actually fall through on that. Yeah. Even the ones that do, it's short-term and they go back. So therefore, how do I handle that as a trainer? Well, we figured out a long time ago, like, okay, instead of me handing you a diet and saying, follow this, I want to see what you're doing. Mm. So I have them track for a week, document everything, and then I pick one thing. Mm. Whether that be adding some greens into the diet. And that's it. That's all we talk about. We're not going to talk about the fucking donuts. We're not going to talk about the sodas. We're not going to talk about any of that right now. We're talking about one fucking thing that I see that's wrong in this picture yeah. and see if I can change that one behavior and then build upon that. And then we've had a lot more success when you do that. This is part of the the what we talk about on this show, I think, that's counter to... Uh, the fitness culture. Uh, yeah. Fitness culture is a lot of like the Western medicine culture. Yeah. It's like they want to see the just the science. Nobody wants to talk about the psychological part right. and realizing how much of that it's a factor. And in, in our space, which I would argue yours is similar, we're we've come to find that that's everything. Because mm -hmm. if everything. you if you if you don't believe you're going to do it, if you can't yeah. create those behaviors, then all the other shit that we talk about is almost moot. No, fundamental behaviors are changed uh, little by little. They're with, with challenging changes that are also realistic. And then you take the next step. You build mm. confidence. You build strength. You move. That's how fundamental behaviors are changed uh, successfully. The other way is through epiphany, which I found to be rare. 
Mm. It's rare where someone has an epiphany, like all of a sudden, that's it. I've quit smoking. I quit drinking. I'm changing my life. Yeah. Very, very rare. What's more common is the is the you know the the, yeah. the slow the slow changes. Yeah, and you know I've totally. This is great. And the other thing you guys didn't say, because humbly you're saying, but they have an accountability with you. It helps. They have an accountability mm-hmm. with you. So to do it in a vacuum is difficult. But when you have some, oh, I need to check back in, you know, uh, I'm, you know, it, it improves. So you guys didn't say that, but I'll give you guys credit. I saw that you guys do that. You have a, a platform to give them accountability and check back in with them. And that that is that is that is half the battle is just right. knowing you're not alone. Well, some something and, and I was saying this earlier when when uh, and then Adam, uh, you know, asked the question. But what I was saying is your, your, your patients must love you. And the reason why I said that is I experienced firsthand what it's like to have somebody close to you be diagnosed with cancer and then watch them uh, die. Um, it was somebody very close to me, she was diagnosed with lenitis plastica, which is a, yeah. a, a very, very deadly form of stomach cancer. And I think we would have loved, even if it worked or didn't work, even if the outcome was the same, I would have loved to have been able to sit down because I used to go to all of her appointments with her. Mm. And I'm a health and fitness guy. And I would ask things like, hey, what about diet? Oh, that's not going to make a difference. Or, But to be able to sit down with someone and the, for the doctor to actually sound like they care enough to talk to you about your lifestyle and your yeah. feelings, that alone, even if it doesn't make you live longer, it's got to improve just how you feel during the process. Yeah. Yeah. What does that first visit look like? You know, somebody coming in that yeah. just got diagnosed. Well, that's interesting. You know, there's some in- appreciate. Thank you. Uh, there's uh, um, the the first. <laughs> sometimes I get the, the the classic one you see in the movies is like the patient comes and there's like twelve family members with them. Mm-hmm. They want to doc how you know how long how long is he gonna live? Mm-hmm. You know. Okay. And then I I come in. I'm like, okay. First of all, nobody in this room makes that out alive. Okay. (laughs) Nobody in this life in America, we're all about like, you live forever, you know, you live forever. What, what, you know? And then when you die, it's like, it's like, it's super horrible in the, in the Eastern tradition. It's not true. It's like, you know, it's just another part of your journey, you know? Mm -hmm. So I immediately take that off the table. So the first visit, I'm like, look, if you have that fear that you're going to, that you're going to die, I'm going to tell you right now it's going to happen. You know, mm-hmm. now we're just talking about how that's going to happen, you know? And then they're like, oh, oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it immediately takes it off the table. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing I think I say is like, look, and then the next question always is how long do, do, do does he have, you know, how long do they have? How long does he have? And, I, and this is the second thing I say, listen, nobody in this room can tell you how long you have. Nobody can. If you sit across from a doctor and they tell you you have a certain amount of time, you know, they're wrong. They don't know, you know. Now, if you look at thousands of people, per someone with, uh, you know, the stomach cancer, mm-hmm. survival rates, you know, uh, for five years are on 15 to 25% if it's advanced, right? Mm-hmm. It's not very good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, but I, I, I don't think it's helpful as the patient to hear the person that you've given power to across the way, to hear them to say, uh, uh, you have a 15% chance mm-hmm. to make it to five years. Because all they hear is 15%. All yeah. they hear is six months. All they hear, they only are listening because they're so scared. You know? All they so, hear is a 85% chance of dying. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so easy to it's, do that. It's very easy to do it. And then they, you don't understand, because you're not, they're not trained in thinking about, look, well, that's thousands of people. Mm-hmm. That means out of a thousand people, you know, 150 people are living but leather fit or you know or or two hundred fifty people are living mm-hmm. five years. so it's it's actually a lot of it's more than you think. But also, as the person sitting across, I don't know, you know what you have because I've seen people with uh, brain 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 
disease, brain metastasis. I've seen them live for a long time, years, and and the research shows it should be about three and a half, four or five months. Mm-hmm. You know, so I never sit. I saw a guy who was eight years out, and he's he's got he had him. He's like, oh yeah. He's like, how you doing? I just play tennis. I'm like, okay, cool. You know, so then I never, I never, I don't give them false hope, but I'll never say like, like, so, you know, the other doctor said six months. Do you think it's yeah. six months? I'm like, who's telling you this? Like, yeah. is this the same guy that told you not to have a salad? Because it's probably the same guy, right? <laughs> it's this guy. He tells you you're going to die. Your, your, your nutrition doesn't matter. And just take my chemo, you know, like what, what, you know, what, that's not, that's not. Now, do you get a lot of pushback from the family for this type of uh, No, they response? love it. They mm. love it. I would have because, loved yeah. it. I yeah, would have yeah. loved it if they I love. had a doctor like you with her. Yeah. It would have been great. Well, it's, it's um, you know, that's the thing. It's kind of like, um, you know, I'm, here's, a, this is what I was telling them. Like, listen, I'm like, look, what, what do you want out of life? I'll ask them, like, you know, you have this thing now. What do you want? You know, what do you want? They're like, oh, I've never thought about that. I'm like, well, that's probably why you're in this situation. I don't say that, but that's, that's like, mm-hmm. do you know what is important to you? Do you know what you're trying to live for? You know, so mm. um, I'll, this is actually this lady. I, I we did the book launch on Saturday, and this lady came. And the whole the whole my whole platform, my whole thing's about ownership. It's all about ownership. And this lady came to me. She's like, I love what you said. She's like, I'd like to come see you and have you be my doctor. And I say, well, do you have cancer? And then she's like, no. I'm like, well, then you can't be my patient. But <laughs> but I was like I was like, wait, but hold on a second. Um, um, did you, did you were here? She's like, oh yeah, yeah. I heard what you said. She's like, I'd love to have you. I, I, I want someone to help me and fix all the stuff I have going on. And I was like, wow. I go, y- you, how about this? I'm going to give, you can read the book or you can, you know, we have this free email course we're doing. It's all about ownership. And she's like, that's great, but I want to come see you. I want you to, to treat me. And I was like, oh, this is the part that's missing in most people. Like, you don't need me. You need you. Mm. You need you. You need you to be on your team. And so when I sit across from people like the guy, you know, if he has a bad disease, it's around his family, like, what do you, what do you want out of this? And once we find out what you want, then I'm saying, oh, I'm going to help you get that. I'm going to help you get that. Oh, that's you know? awesome. Yeah. I, I mm. when I used to, like I said, I trained a lot of doctors for a while. And mm-hmm. one thing that was interesting to me, and they all agreed, was when they were working with people who are terminal, that they can almost... I forgot what percentage one of them said. One of them told me like with 80% uh, accuracy, I can predict when someone's about to die and it, not because of their labs or because of their physical health, but because of when they decide mm-hmm. like, I'm, oh, like I'm going to go. And this is the person I'm talking to you about who had the cancer. Mm-hmm. This happened with her. Uh, it was about a year and a half out um, of her, you know, when she got diagnosed she had to go to the hospital because she had ascites, which is just lots of fluid in her abdomen. She had to have it um, you know, pulled out or whatever. And they did all the tests and stuff. And she was in the hospital and they said, oh, you know, her, her organs look fine. Liver's functioning fine. Kidneys are functioning fine. Heart is functioning fine. So she's got at least a few more months or whatever. She's going to be fine. So there's no signs that she was going to die. So she's in the hospital. The next morning, she calls me. Uh, she calls me up, and she's like, "I'd like you to come to the hospital." I'm like, "Is everything okay?" And she goes, "Yeah, but I'd like you to come here." I said, "Okay." So I get there, and she had called all of her family members and close friends, and she said goodbye to everybody, mm-hmm. and she had made peace with the fact that she was going to be gone. She died the next day, mm-hmm. and I brought that up to the doctors, and they all said, "Oh yeah, we see that happen all the time." Is that is that a true thing that people see? Yeah, you know, I mean, this is no so. 
Um, there's, there's a couple ways to look at this. You know, the question is how to look at, you're talking about the soul. You're talking about spirituality. I don't know. About, I think it's yeah. so strange. I mean, you know, so my background is I, I have a, I, you know, I've done like 7,000 hours of meditation, you know, so I come from a pretty strong spiritual background of, of kind of finding this thing. And that's how I, I, you know, I, I kind of look at the world from this perspective is that, you know, the body is not who we are. We're, we're this thing inside, you know, not to take it way out, but we're the soul inside, you know, and we have the willpower, we have the choice, you know, you look at any spiritual tradition, they all say the same thing. It's like, you know, um, it, it's like there's, there's this soul inside that's doing this thing. So if you look at the research, though, you find that people, for example, who are, the, if you look at the like spouse, spousal research where one person dies, the longer they've been married, you know, the more likely that that if that person dies within the next year, it's like a it's a very high percentage. I can't remember the number. Now, yeah, that that will go. I've seen that. And and if you've seen somebody whose spouse has passed away, they just don't want to be here anymore. No, they're depressed. Yeah, it like they age ten years the very next yeah, year. They're yeah, they're just like they're just like if you had someone in that situation, they don't they don't want to be here anymore. I um my grandmother she passed away last year and um. She was 92, and um, the night I was here in L.A., and um, she was in Thailand, and my mom was there, and um, she's like, oh, I wanted to call you. Grandma's not looking great. Um, her, her feet are getting blue, you know, and then I was like, okay, well, that's not good. And then so the grandkids came over, all, a bunch of them, and, and my mom was like, oh, touch her and tell her that you love her before she goes, you know, so Thailand's like that. They'll come and mm. say touch, and they say, love you, Grandma, I love you all the blood started coming into her feet again. She came back. And wow. so my mom called me. She's like, oh, we brought her back. I go, mom, what are you doing? She's trying to leave. <laughs> she, and I was like, you know what? Tell them to go home. They're like, no, well, no. They're going to come back tomorrow. They think it's working. I'm like, mom, she's 92. She has bed sores. She has huge bed sores. She's sick. She's Just let her go. And so she's like, okay. So no one was allowed in the room. She was gone the next day. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. And And is there research on that? I haven't seen any, but maybe we're talking. Someone can email me what they found. You know, there's people have looked at this in other countries, but has it looked at it in a rigorous way? I haven't seen anything, mm -hmm. but my experience is, is exactly what you said. Interesting. You know? And that's what they said too. And it was like, it blew me away. Mm -hmm. Do What are some, some practices or do you have some practices that you give to people that they can do for themselves to help themselves with their mindset? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, so there's the, the thing that I really, really like for people to do um, um, as far as the mind, and this is, again, is validated in the research, is gratitude. Okay. So this is simple. So like people are listening, like, this is what I ask you to do. Like, this is the easiest entry point to changing your mind is write down at the end of your day, five things that you're grateful for. Five things. It could be anything like, oh, I saw a hummingbird. Oh, you know, they call me back. Oh, this guy let me in the lane. Oh, I had a, this really nice pair. It doesn't matter what it is, but they found that in the research that if you practice gratitude, it improves your immune system. It improves your, you know, improves everything, you know. And they found that um, if you can put this practice into play, it it has bigger, bigger effects as time goes on. So initially, you don't see it except for a feeling of well-being. Now, what what's the reason behind this? Is because like, say if say if we all oh, had a great oh, I did this great mind pump podcast today, you know. I re-experienced the joy that I felt mm -hmm. earlier in the day. I'm, oh, hitting, because, oh. I'm hitting myself with endorphins again. A second hit, your brain doesn't know the difference between the initial event and the memory of the event. 
It doesn't mm. know the difference, which is why trauma is so impactful, mm. which is why that emotional trauma, because you're replaying a lot of these events through current events. You know, so what that's one practice is, you know, write down five things every day. So you tell, you tell people to do that every day at night, five things. I brought journals for you guys, these gratitude journals. Oh, awesome. Thank you. So right all you do is just write down five, five things every day. So there's like a whole bunch of research that shows that what, what are the criteria this improves. So now you're starting to think in your mind like, uh, like uh, positive things, you know, and that's the easiest entry point. You know, that's one thing I tell them to do. The second thing I tell them to do is... Um, if you're like, if you're out there and you're kind of a negative, like the problem with negative thought isn't that you have a negative thought. It's the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth. Like spiral you, effect, right? Yeah. It's like, it's like, okay, so you're, someone cuts you off in the car. You're like, what the fuck are you doing, man? And then the second thought is, this always happens to me. This always happens to me when I'm coming to work. Why didn't, why didn't Jane, she, she parked her car behind me. If, if she didn't park there, it wouldn't take me extra three minutes to mm-hmm. go. All of a sudden you're chaining all these thoughts, right? So this is another practice you can do is if you realize you're a chainer, that like you have these chaining things going on, you just say, oh, when you feel, when you see the first thought, you go, oh, there's that thing I do. Mm. You say, oh, there's that thing I do. I think I'm, <laughs> I'm about to do that thing. Oh, I'm not going to do that thing. By creating, and this is the other point when you had with that lady is like, you create awareness around an issue, mm-hmm. you have 50% chance of doing better. Because mm. otherwise you only have one way to go. Right. You have the way that you always go. Right. So we give you give them another choice point. Say give create choice points. And then then this is where the ownership comes in. Like, okay, now you know that you do this. Are you willing to take the change? Are you willing to pick this as your one thing to change? Are you willing to be in the thirty percent of changing your mind? Are you willing to say, Okay, I'm a chainer. Yep. Okay, so and I'll just say, Well, there's a thing I do. Okay, well, you know, maybe I'll yeah, okay, I'll let it go. I know. See, because that this is another tie-in, though. It's interesting. So what I call that thing, you know, when you have road range, I call that mushrooming. So if you have something in your life that happens, like if someone cuts you off, right, and you're like, what the fuck, man? What the fuck is wrong with you? You know, you're up, you're up in them, you're yelling at them, and you're like, you know them, you know? Like they did this to you personally, yeah. right? You're yeah. like, I'm scared. I'm not talking, you know, you know. Sorry, but I'm still stuck on mushrooming. Okay, okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, something else. I'm sorry. Dude. Right? No. Yeah. That, <laughs> no. Um. So, so the reason why I call it, <laughs> my the reason bad. I call it mushrooming is because, um, you have this blow up over an event that doesn't mean anything, really, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So it's actually a marker of something else. It's actually a sign that you have undealt with emotional baggage oh isn't almost almost any out uh, lashing out with anger is almost always a reflection of yourself yeah. right? but there's Something there's there's appropriate on. anger like if you're if you're if you're outside and your appointment's at 10 and it's 10 45 you're like that's pretty disrespectful i'm a little you know i'm on three mm-hmm. i'm angry at three you know you know walking like yeah not, not really happy about you know you're angry but you're not you're not breaking down the door but if you break down the door when it should just be kind of like a thing error, that's mushrooming. Mm. So, so there's, there's grades, right? So if you're, if you're blowing up like that, that's a, that should be a marker to you that you're in the thinking, changing your mind in that situation isn't really going to help because you've not dealt with the real issue. You've not dealt with the emotional package. You've not dealt with the fact that you believe that in situations you're getting, you're getting this raw deal, a big, big raw deal. Right. Hopefully, I'm not talking about somebody in this room. Well, I have kids, and I notice this. If if there's something else that's going on in my mind, I am way more short and way less forgiving and less empathetic mm-hmm. towards my children. Mm-hmm. And I've I've learned to catch myself now in that process. Where like, 
why am I getting so mad that my you know my my daughter left her shoes right you know not in the place that they're supposed to be this is an inappropriate level of irritation yes that's mushrooming so mm-hmm. so the question is is like you know how do we not call that bandwidth how do you create more bandwidth so that when you have stuff in your life that that um that you know it's gonna happen you have kids they're gonna irritate you mm-hmm. you know but how do you create enough bandwidth so it doesn't create an untoward reaction toward them you know what i mean so it's like it's creating the system beyond that moment because it's not the moment that's causing the problem the problem is you've you've started with only this because a lot of it was taken up by this mm. right so um i'm holding my hands nobody can see it but uh, basically it's like you, you know, have less capacity there's you less, have less capacity so it's like creating this capacity how do you create capacity how do you create it uh, in in an effective way so this is where meditation comes in okay so the data on meditation shows that if you do this seven minutes twice a day you can skip one day which makes you still around 90 minutes um if you do that um it finds that it finally improves it rewires your brain okay if you look on functional mri it changes your brain chemistry by doing this 90 minutes a day decreases anxiety improves your cell counts in your white cell counts that are involved in your immune system. But here's the big thing, and this is what they see in the data, is that in response to a stressful situation, your cortisol level is much less than someone who doesn't meditate. So you don't get that hit of mm-hmm. of cortisol, uh, of the adrenal glands firing, releasing this, this stuff into your body uh, that that is, you know, like a fight or flight mechanism. So your, your reaction and your response is... is- uh, not blunted might not be the right word, but you're not getting the extreme reaction because of the meditation you do. Yeah. Otherwise. So they found that you, so when we're talking about rewiring people are, what the hell does that mean? It means like in your frontal cortex, in your brain, you're actually having more space. You're, you're having more neurons in order to process an event so that instead of having one neuron going and you're like, ah, you know, why are you doing that? You have like 10. And so maybe only two or three are taken up by this information versus Versus just three. Mm. So if you walk in a situation and you feel overwhelmed a lot, it's because your brain can't handle it. You know, they found mm. people have strokes. Like they get, I have a friend, he just, he's young. He just had a stroke. And um, I asked him, what's the big problem? Like he, he was, he lost, he's 40, 44. He had a stroke, really a lot of issue, other issues going on. But in this particular case, I was like, what's your big deficit? He's like, well, I'm thankful I got my hand movement back. But the main thing is I feel overwhelmed all the time. I feel overwhelmed. I can't walk in a situation and process the information. Mm-hmm. And so they see that in stroke patients is that when your brain doesn't have the capacity anymore to take it, you feel this overwhelm, mm-hmm. you know? And you're saying meditation in, in increases that capacity or increases yeah. your bandwidth or whatever. Yeah. And and also I wanted to mention, like, I use the word meditation, but I, I noticed another, a lot of people in other talks have gotten like, why well, I'm, I'm Christian. I don't do meditation. Mm. You know, I'm like, okay, let me change the word. Same thing as prayer. Let me change the word contemplation. Let me change the word mindfulness-based stress reduction. If you look in the literature, they can't use meditation because you can't get meditation funded. But if you do mindfulness-based stress reduction. Oh, gosh. Wow. It's then, all the same then, thing. That's <laughs> so, so funny. Isn't med- I thought meditation it, it, it has, has a long history in Christianity. If prayer. Mistaken, prayer. It'd be prayer. Yeah. yeah. You, yeah. Would say, you would say prayer all, instead all of spiritual, All spiritual uh, you know, practices. Mystical, mystical Christian. They, they'll call it contemplation. Right, yeah. yeah. But um, it's a very, it's a, like I gave a talk at, um, I won't say which hospital, but it's a Catholic hospital in LA. And uh, they, the, the priest that was there was listening and I, he was, oh, I love, love, love it. And then I start talking about meditation. At the end of the talk, he was like, yeah, I saw the data, but we don't, you know, it's against our beliefs. And I was like, wait, what? 
I'm the, 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 this is research. This is science stuff. And he's like, he's like, yeah, but the meditation, I can't tell people to do that. And I was like, oh, oh, wait, let me, let me. And by then it was already over for that situation. But I learned later, I'm like, okay, if I'm in this situation, be careful with the words you choose. Cause there's some connotations that people get. Mm-hmm. We're back into mind and attitude. And it's like, like, okay, let, how about mindfulness based stress reduction? Oh, that is great. Yeah. I'm like, okay, let's sit down. I'll show you how to do it. MBSR, <laughs> so MBSR. Silly. You learn a new thing, MBSR. And they're like, they're like, oh, this is great. I'll teach all of them. After prayer, we'll do MBSR. I'm like, yep, that's how we do it. We'll do prayer and we'll do MBSR. <laughs> so for, for people listening, because we, we've talked about meditation before, but the, the question I always get is how? I've never done it before. How do I start? What's an easy way people can start okay. practicing this? This is super easy. Okay, everybody, listen. You can do it right now. You can do this right now, and we're gonna, let's do it right now. Let's okay. do it together. All right. Okay. For seven minutes. Are, no, no, no. Super entertaining. <laughs> seven minutes. Quiet. No. This is simple. Okay. <laughs> way to lose our audience, right. Roy. <laughs> right, right. No, I'm gonna show you. Okay, this is gonna be really cool. Okay, right. so everybody, this sleep. is super cool. All right. All right. I want you to take a deep breath. Inhale. Tense your whole body, and then exhale. Inhale. Tense the whole body. Exhale. You're meditating. Oh, all right. Wasn't that really hard? Okay, so here's here's the thing about meditation. People get really freaked out. My mind goes all over the place. I can't meditate. It's not about that, okay? The fact that you know that your mind was going all over the place, you were proves that you're meditating because right, you didn't it, even know it, your mind was right, going all over the place. Let it flow. Yeah. So actually the data, this again, talking about research, I always go back to the research. You can't meditate. You can't do any of that unless you're relaxed. Mm-hmm. So what I, what we did right there, we, we hyper oxygenated deep breath. We tense the body, right? You ever begin to fight with your, your wife mm-hmm. and you say, Never. relax, <laughs> you say, relax. What happens? That's the worst thing you could ever okay. say. Okay. <laughs> so taking that exact situation, I told you to tense. Oh, right. And your body goes to relaxation automatically. Oh, bro! I tricked you. That's so you trick everybody. Everybody, listen. That's how you do it. Just tense the body. Hmm. Ex- inhale and then relax. And then, and then exhale and then let go. Of and let tense. and let go. And then when you're sitting there, we had almost three seconds of meditation right there. Yeah. Yeah. I won't do any longer. We'll lose everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I felt it though for those you, three seconds. You see yeah, it? You yeah, felt yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, there was absolutely. a moment. That, Oh, everything was still. Mm-hmm. So you can't meditate if you're if you're if your your body's carrying all this tension. Mm-hmm. But if you look at like if you look at the word disease, right? Disease, disease. The answer is in the word ease. Mm-hmm. So we're, we we got to create that in our lives, and like you can you can have this ease. You just create tension and then let it go, and then your body automatically will go toward this relaxation mm-hmm. phase. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the irony of all this is, you know, because we talk a lot about nutrition and exercise and all that stuff. When people start to do these practices mm-hmm. where they're showing gratitude uh, or, or, you know, uh, marking down gratitude or, or having a gratitude practice where they do some form of meditation, they start to care about themselves a little more. They, they all start to want to eat and exercise. They all start want to eat better and exercise. Yeah. It, it's all part of the same kind of process. Yeah. They all lead into each other. And then on the flip side, when when I have people who really focus on working on the nutrition, but in a real way, I find that they start to fall into these other practices as well. The that's, that's super a great observation. The um the thing with this ACEs study I talked about before, the reason why the study came about was because they actually Kaiser does this big thing about live a weight loss clinic, and they're super successful as long as you're in the program. And they found that uh, they had like a, like seventy thirty even people who left the program they lost weight. 
Um, but they found, they asked the people who, who, who left the program and they interviewed them. They found like they, had, they interviewed like 300 that had dropped out. They found that 80% had emotional, that's one of the trauma things, mm. positive. Oh, so, so what we're doing by creating the gratitude is like we're trying to create, we're trying to rewire your brain to, to release endorphins in these situations by remembering the positive things in your life. They found that in the research, though, with gratitude, it's not necessarily you're thinking positive things. It's that you're not thinking negative things. So they found that it's not about creating positivity. It's not giving, because the 2.5 to, 2 to 1 thing we were talking about before, the research and positive negative mm -hmm. thought ratio, they found that they found that the people who, in, this, in the gratitude research, they found that people who think positive are actually doing better than people who think neutral. They're the same. It's the people who think negative are the ones that are getting really hurt. Oh, I see. Mm. So, so if you look at back at the people that you take care of too, it's like, well, why are we having trouble getting gains with this person? It's because that there's there's something underneath that that's they're using as a protective mechanism, right? You've seen that with fairly with big oh, people. Oh right? my gosh, it took me seven years to figure that out as a trainer, and then I became far more successful of a yeah. of a trainer yeah. when I realized that it was that component right there that was everything. And it's everything. Mm -hmm. You give them that empathy. You give them that, and I'm sure there's a lot of people who work in the fitness industry here. If you really want to build your clientele, if you listen to them, if you let them talk in your session, you will build like crazy, oh, man. Oh, it's, it's so true. It's so funny that you're saying that and you're not a trainer, but it's <laughs> yeah, it sounds very similar. Yeah, it's totally true. Well, yeah. If you think you will or you won't, you're probably right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so the, what were the practice? So you, you went through gratitude. What was the second one? Was it meditation or was it? We, we did tense and relax. Tense yeah. and relax. Tense, you want me, you want another one? This yeah. Is super cool. Yeah. 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 I would love okay. more. Yeah. This is super cool. So, okay, let's do this one. So we're going to do another exercise. Everybody's going to do another exercise. You guys ready? Mm -hmm. um, okay. So we're going to tense and relax one time. Now this next inhale, I want you to visualize in your mind the most beautiful thing you've ever seen, like the, like uh, the birth of your baby or, or or something beautiful, sunrise, anything. Do you have that thing? Mm -hmm. You have that thing yep, in your mind. Yep. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to inhale that picture into your brain. Like you see that thing, and exhale. third breath, I want you to put in front of your nose, smell the most beautiful thing you've ever smelled. Like a rose. Can you, th you have that thing? Mm -hmm. It could be barbecue. It doesn't matter. So inhale. <laughs> smell it like it's in front of you. Bacon. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Exhale. Okay. What do we just do? Uh, I think we just experienced those things. You re-experienced those yeah, things. Right. Okay. So, so this is, goes back to that research is that, is that, so what we did was in three breaths, this is super good to do. If you're a person who gets in fight or flight or a lot. So for people listening, don't know what that is. It's a fear or, or anger reaction in a stressful situation. You either want to beat somebody up or you want to run away. That's fight or flight. That's me me mediated in the deep part of your brain in the amygdala. I don't know if you had anybody talking mm -hmm. about that before, mm -hmm. amygdala. The amygdala immediates the stress response, okay? To take yourself out of the stress response, what we did was we tensed and relaxed, released the physical energy. Second breath, I forced you, I told you to think about the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. Third breath, I had you smell the most beautiful thing you've ever smelled. Mm. Both of those things are mediated in the cortex of your brain. 
the outer part of your brain. When we fire, we force our brain to fire there. It dis it inhibits the amygdala. Oh, I see. Wow. You force your brain to be positive. You force your brain to release the negative thought. Would that be a good practice to do before a really nerve wracking, stressful situation? Like let's say speaking in front of a bunch of people. Yeah. Would that Absolutely. be a good? Okay. Absolutely. Um, I, I've, you, you, so that's, that's, so the, the thing is, if you try it, it will hundred percent will work for you. If you can, if you can do it. The thing is, if you're already stressed in a situation and you're like, oh God, it's coming up. You know, you have that, uh, you're already releasing cortisol and epinephrine, mm -hmm. epinephrine in your body. So that'll, that'll take about 10, 10, 12, 15 minutes for it to kind of that the jitter part, but you won't have the mental anxiety. Mm -hmm. You won't have, the, you'll, you'll start to put a different, a different chemical profile into your body. You still have the other ones flowing. The liver will take care of it in two cycles. Mm. Well, there's always how you perceive also, there's that barrier as well because excited and anxious are almost the same mm -hmm. physiologically. Same yeah, it's almost the same. Like if I get super excited about something like when you were young and you first fell in love, you're getting epinephrine, norepinephrine, you're getting cortisol, you're getting the jitters, but you don't perceive it as, uh, you know, all fuck, nerve wracking. Yeah. yeah, you're like, oh my God, I'm in love. I'm about to see mm. this girl again. So I think if you if you change the way you perceive it, that changes everything. Well, it's mm -hmm. interesting too because I mean I went through. Have you heard of Wim Hof and like sure. what he does? And okay, so I there, we we actually held a, a course here. Wow! And uh, it was really impactful for me just because I my go-to was always to tense up and to like overcome stress by tensing mm -hmm. and um, just to learn to hyperoxygenate and, you know, really relax and, and give way of, of that control mechanism, like to, to then apply that into immersing myself into freezing cold water was, was just like, it was an epiphany for me just because, you know, when you go to get into like something like an ice bucket of water <laughs> your first thing is to, oh my god i gotta yes. like bear down and and you know weather the storm in a sense but when i figured out that relax i could i could bear it like almost immediately i could stand there for like an hour it felt like yeah yeah that's powerful man that's yeah. super cool yeah get, but i mean this is way more applicable so i i think that this is something well, that, like your everyday person <laughs> could do like you don't always have an ice uh tub available yeah, yeah. that that's that sounds pretty painful too uh i'm from <laughs> buffalo so i grew up like that so that's cool <laughs> that's I, just I, going I, outside yeah you just go outside that's how you are. <laughs> so um yeah no i mean so that that those are the three i think super impactful things that people can do like right now um uh, to do. And, and if you notice they're, they're all, you know, they're all evidence-based. They're all, they're all, you know, they're easy. We can, you can access like right now, if you're listening, you can access this right now. You can take this stuff, you can do it. And guess what? It's free. Mm. It's free. Yeah. Do you, do you think that the, that this is the big missing piece of Western medicine? This is the big part that they're just not seeing right now. And that if they incorporated this, we'd see each other a lot better. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's actually, you know, if, this is this is the the piece is yeah is understanding where disease comes from it's within the word it's ease you know if you can find that place of you know um you know the the thing is though also you you are you know uh the paramahansa yogananda the, the the guru that i follow he he says you know uh you change yourself you change thousands you know so the thing is, though, if you're a doctor, you're not practicing these things yourself. Mm. It's very hard to advocate for something that you don't do. Mm -hmm. It's like somebody who doesn't train and they're telling you to do something automatically. They have no legitimacy for there's, you. There's also not a lot of money in it either. 
Yeah, there's these, these are practices that don't require a pill, don't require right. a shot, don't require a therapy. It's just do them, you yeah. know. And there's not a lot of money in that, which makes me wonder. Uh, even even as more research and more stuff points us in the direction of how important this is, will we go that direction? It's you know, and the thing is, it's like you know, I would say you know, there's seven trillion dollars of research in the West. There's seven thousand years of experience in the East. You got to be in the middle. But that's why you cannot rely on the, the either paradigm. You have to rely on you. You know what, though? The irony is this. Like, even in personal training, it was like, oh, if you get your clients to really be able to take care of themselves and get themselves in shape, then you're going to lose clients because they're not going to need you anymore. <laughs> yeah. The irony is the opposite. When right. you do this, you are more successful as a trainer. And I bet you, you probably, your books are probably filled as a as a cancer specialist, I bet you have a waiting list compared to uh, other other doctors because of how you work with people. Like the p- patients really like to like to like to talk. Yeah, they like to, you know. Obviously, it's the reason they're there isn't a great reason, but people always say, "Oh, I'd love to have you as my doctor." I'm like, "You don't want me as your doctor. Yeah. You don't you don't want me in that way, you know." But but yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's like any any field is is like that, I think. But that's why I, I wanted to write this this book and kind of build this healing platform because it's like, it's like, look, you, you can do this. You're, you know, you need somebody like you guys have, if, if they're interested in, in, in your work, they come to you and you coach them. But you know that in the end, if they don't take ownership of the situation, they're not going to get the gains. Right. That's right. That's right. Well, I th- you're in a un- unique position because of your, uh, your, your training in Western medicine. You are a doctor. And so I think that affords you the ability to be able to communicate things and have a huge impact. Because I know, uh, I know lots of people that if you were to tell them to, to meditate and be, have gratitude, uh, you know, they'd be like, ah, that doesn't work. But now right. it's a doctor telling me, maybe I'll consider it. So now, right. are you are you seeing more and more of your peers though get on board with this thought process? Because I feel like what we were talking about with Western medicine has definitely been predominant for the the, the past 20, 30 years. This way of thinking of you know. Uh, we just focus on one system, but are you starting to see more and more doctors be a little more open to like, yeah, you know, it's not, it's not a lot of them, but, um, like uh, I have a few that are really, really into it. Like one, he just, he, I started talking to him a couple of years ago and every note now at the end, he goes to talk to the patient about meditation, nutrition, and, uh, exercise. He puts it in his note. So it's going out to other doctors. I'm like, you put that in your note. He's like, well, yeah, yeah. yeah." And then he went on a meditation retreat five days last week. I had, I, I covered him and he was like, I'm like, where are you going? You going on vacation? He's like, I'm going on a meditation retreat. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had, had my wife listen to your book. I had my kids listen to your book. I'm doing this meditation retreat. I'm not taking my wife. Cause you know, that's stressful. I'm like, okay. So, uh, <laughs> Smart man. so yeah, but, um, yeah, you know, so I think it's coming and it's just, you know, you got to really do it yourself though. I mm-hmm. mean, you can't, I can't like, now you guys subject to, uh, you know, being punished or getting in trouble for that. Or can you say, can you do by him putting notes on there to meditate? No, okay. it's all, you, you, you're fine. You, you know, it's just not common. That's it's all. not common, but it's also evidence-based. I'm not saying nothing I said in this the whole time that I make up. Right. It's coming from somewhere, you know, and yes, the research is there, but also these are kind of like, I don't want to get super spiritual, but these are truths. These are things that, that are true. So it's kind of like, of course the research is going to support it. Well, and this is all in conjunction with pharmaceuticals and other strategies that you're already using. Exactly. Exactly. And that's one of the things, you know, I do this uh, worksheet I have with uh, people coming in that want to work with me. I have them fill out like this houses of health worksheet. And in the physical house, you know, there's there's diet, 
there's there's um, there's exercise, there's sleep, and then there's have you seen a doctor? Because there's some, a lot of things you can't figure out on your own in your health. You go in and your cholesterol is like tr- triple normal, you know. Mm-hmm. You need to know that. You may mm-hmm. not know by just working out or you know changing your. You may you may have something that's genetic. You may have so Western medicine is not wrong. Mm-hmm. It's not a fallacy. The seven trillion dollars of research, it's real, you know. So. Yeah, I mean, if, if people are like, oh, you don't need Western medicine. I'm like, well, did you know that the survival has gone up from average of 50 years to 78 years? Or eight, I think America now, I think, is 81 years mm-hmm. average. And the average from 50 years ago is like 53. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you don't need Western medicine. But, the you know, this is why we've gone from 50, because you're not dying of heart attacks. You're not dying of of acute things as much anymore. So we can start to focus on what you said at the beginning of the program, a chronic disease, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, this is where though, we're on the leading edge of that right now with even, uh, you know, what you guys are doing too with the mind work and we're on the edge. That's why, you know, they say, you know, for, first you break the windows, then you are the windows, mm-hmm. you know? So when you're on the leading edge, you're gonna get pushback because people aren't mm-hmm. gonna be open to it because they're, they're just set in their own way of thinking. It's like that guy who said it was a religion talk. Yeah. We just need to find the right wording to access it yeah. so that people can hear it the right way. That's all. Right. all. Hmm. Well, this is promising. I'm glad to hear uh, that you're doing this and that some people are doing this in your space and uh, hopefully more do mm-hmm. you know, along the way. So appreciate you coming on the show. Sure, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, Thank you very much. Good time, dude. Thank, Thank you. you. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic. Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now, plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump.